The term integral, as it applies to my work, refers to an overall framework, usually called integral theory or, more technically, integral meta-theory, is an attempt to search out and include the most number of important and viable truths that we can find. The really important truths that have been discovered so far in our history are sometimes referred to with terms like waking up, growing up, cleaning up, opening up, and showing up. Each of these are processes that you can apply yourself and to any area of your life that you wish, from family and friends to environmental concerns and social justice issues, to you and health, well-being, and increased potential. One item in particular has generated a lot of recent interest, and that has to do with the term integral as it specifically applies to a type of consciousness that all humans can attain. In other words, something called integral consciousness. So what on earth is that exactly? Well, that term specifically applies to an approach that includes all of those previously mentioned truths, from waking up to growing up to cleaning up to showing up, for starters. Now, some of these truths are relatively rare. They just aren't well known by a lot of people, including most college professors. But what's important is that all of them have very serious communities of knowledge that have focused on these truths and discovered ways that they can be reproduced and passed on. And some of them have been doing this for hundreds, some even thousands of years. But what's not so common is the attempt to actually bring them together and include all of these truths. It's common to focus on one or two of them, very rare to include them all or at least try to. But that's exactly what integral consciousness does. Some of these truths are indeed thousands of years old. Some of them, of course, are relatively new, just a few decades or so. The discovery of the process of growing up itself, or the actual stages that most human beings go through as they grow and develop, this itself is fairly new. It's only about 100 years old, having been first advanced by a brilliant American psychologist named James Mark Baldwin, a contemporary and friend of William James. When Baldwin retired in America, he taught in Paris, where he had students like the extraordinary and then quite young Swiss student named Jean Piaget. Piaget blew the lid off of developmental studies, and in the years after him, a quite large number of pioneering researchers began investigating all sorts of the major aspects of human development, including well-known researchers like Lawrence Kohlberg, Jane Lovinger, Kurt Fisher, Claire Graves, Abraham Maslow, Howard Gardner, and Robert Keegan among many others. This indeed was the area that we're calling growing up. Growing up simply refers to the fact that basically 
all human beings are born in fairly undeveloped and immature forms and in almost every area. But then they begin a process of growth and development to more mature and sophisticated forms. What's so interesting about this growth process is that if you look at all the various developmental models that are now in existence, and as I previously mentioned in a book called Integral Psychology, I looked at over 100 of these various developmental models from all over the world. And what you find is a very wide agreement on the number of these stages and their very general characteristics. On average, and this is just an average, they agree there are around six to eight or so major stages of human development. These stages move through very broad realms that start with, for example, egocentric stages, which are concerned with just me and my survival. Then move into ethnocentric stages that are concerned with the whole group or a whole family, clan, tribe, nation. Then to world-centric stages or concerned with all groups or all humans and treating all people fairly, regardless of race, color, sex, tribe, or creed. And then finally, the stages that are often called integrated or integral, because they can integrate or include all of the previous stages. So overall, development is moving from me to us, to all of us, to all beings. Notice that each stage is getting more and more inclusive and embracing. From just me, to just us, to all of us, to all beings entirely. Holons within holons within holons. These major stages really do involve some very distinctive characteristics. For example, when an infant is born, it cannot initially take the perspective of another person. Here's an example I use all the time. If you take a very young child and you get a ball that's colored red on one side and green on the other, and you put this ball between you and the child and turn it several times so the child can see that it's colored differently on each side, and then place the red side facing the child and the green side facing you, and you ask the child, what color are you seeing? The child will correctly say red. Then ask them, what color am I seeing? You're looking at green, of course. The child will say red. In other words, at these early egocentric stages, the child cannot take the role of other. It really cannot see that you are perceiving the world very differently from how it does. But as it grows and develops in later childhood, and it moves into the ethnocentric stages, it will start to be able to take the role of other. And thus, at this point, when you ask it, what color are you seeing, the child will correctly say green. So it's developed from being able to take just an I or me viewpoint being able to take a you viewpoint, see the world through your eyes, walk a mile in your shoes. 
and thus it can expand its identity to start to include others. It can create a we or an us, and that's ethnocentric. It expands its identity from just itself or egocentric to a larger group or ethnocentric. But this is also ethnocentric in a somewhat negative sense. The child can't go from identifying with just itself to identifying with all humans everywhere in a huge global village. Not in one step, anyway. It has to do that one step at a time. It begins to do this with the ethnocentric stages, where it expands its identity to a group, and then to more groups, and then even some more, each time becoming more inclusive and more embracing. As it continues to expand its cognitive capacity, and if it keeps growing, it will eventually shift from an ethnocentric to a world-centric perspective. Here it cares not just for one group, or even several groups, but for all groups, for all humans. And so here it wants to treat all people fairly, regardless of race, color, sex, or creed. It's no longer ethnocentric in any seriously negative fashion. It really does want to overcome prejudice, bigotry, racism, sexism, homophobism, and so on. But, and this is a crucial point, according to most of these developmental models, there are at least two very different versions, or what are actually two quite different stages, of this world-centric development. They're often called modern and postmodern. We give these stages the colors orange and green, respectively. For the moment, don't worry about the term postmodern. We're not using it for the broad cultural movement called postmodernism, although later we'll talk about how they're related. But for now, the term postmodern simply represents one of these common stages of human development, both as we're referring to as world-centric. Now, both of these stages very much want freedom and equality for all people. That's why they're called world-centric. But they have very, very different ideas about how to go about accomplishing that, or even how to define it. The orange, modern, world-centric stage especially became significant starting around the 17th century with the beginning of the Western Enlightenment. One of the most obvious indicators that a truly world-centric stage was coming into being and was starting to supplant the previous ethnocentric stages is that it was during this period, roughly between around 1770 and 1870, that slavery itself was outlawed in every rational industrial country on the face of the planet. This was the first time anything like that had occurred anywhere in history. Virtually all cultures, East, West, North, South, up to that point, had some sort of slavery, because most of them were still at egocentric or ethnocentric stages of their own cultural development. 
And neither of those realms seriously object to slavery because none of them are truly all-inclusive and universally embracing. None of them were generally world-centered. As if to highlight that fact, a new political orientation emerged at that time, reflecting this new reality, and it was called liberal. We'll come back to that liberal orientation and what it means. But here we see the orange, modern, rational, world-centric stage in action. And then, starting in the 1960s, the next major stage of world-centric awareness, the green postmodern stage, began to emerge in a major fashion, where the previous orange modern stage had embraced a universal, rationally and scientifically grounded liberalism, this new green stage differentiated that universal system into a multitude of relativistic and multicultural systems, which tended to be post-liberal or even anti-liberal, as we'll see. But research shows that in 1959, less than 3% of the population was at this green postmodern stage. But by 1972, Jacques Derrida was the most frequently quoted academic in America. And the percent of the population at Green had jumped to over 10%, on its way to around 20% where it is today. And this threw everything into all sorts of chaos. This green, postmodern, relativistic stage of values was added to the previous modern, orange, universal stage of values. And both of those were added to the still existing aspects of the stage that existed right before the modern, a stage that's often called traditional or conventional values, and to which we give the color amber. Amber traditional values, as the name itself implies, embrace traditions often going back many years, including the conventional mythic religion and the society as it already existed. And this often included in-group loyalty to the king or queen and a super patriotic stance towards one's own country. And since it reached back to originally ethnocentric times, it almost always embraced and favored a particular race, a particular gender, and a specific cultural tradition. And then starting in the 60s, those three value systems, the traditional, the modern, and the postmodern, started going at each other's throats in a major social conflict generally known as the culture wars, a conflict that is still with us and in some ways getting even worse. We'll be exploring that topic as we go forward. The important point for now is that according to virtually every single one of the major developmental models now available, this green postmodern stage 
is not the highest stage that can develop. It's the highest of the major stages that have generally emerged so far in cultural evolution. Stages that are all together often called first tier stages. First tier because they are indeed the first stages that have already emerged overall so far. In contrast to the new and higher stages that are starting to emerge right now, which are often called second tier. And second tier is where it starts to get really interesting. If we're maintaining that there are, say, eight major stages in generalized development so far, then the first six stages, the ones that have indeed emerged to date, those are all the ones called first tier. And what defines all those stages is that each one of them thinks that its truth and values are the only real truth and values in existence. All the others are wrong, confused, goofy, childish, something, but they're not really real or important. But all of a sudden, with the emergence of the next major stage, the seventh stage, this is the beginning of second tier. And a second tier stage views the world very differently. Among other things, it thinks that all of the previous stages are truly important and significant, if for no other reason than that they are all stages in an overall human growth and development, and you can't delete any of them any more than you can get from atoms to cells by deleting molecules. All of the stages are needed. They're all holons. In other words, second-tier stages are marked by a profound inclusiveness, holism, integration, a unifying wholeness. Developmental genius Claire Graves called this emergence of second-tier cataclysmic and, quote, a monumental leap of meaning. Graves had never seen anything like it. Neither had the other developmentalists. So if we're counting, say, eight stages altogether, and the first six stages are first tier, then there are, so far, two further and higher stages here at second tier. These two are often called teal, holistic, and then turquoise, integral. But the point is that what these second tier stages all have in common is this staggeringly inclusive and comprehensive and integrated nature. These truly are unprecedented stages in virtually all of human history and development. Historically, of course, there have been a few very advanced souls who reached these extraordinarily holistic stages, people like Plotinus or Shankara. But these stages have never been reached by any large or truly significant number of people at all. But now, even though they're relatively recent, they've reached around 5% of the population, and they're growing rapidly. If all these developmental studies are right, you can start to imagine the profound 
impact that a truly integral consciousness would have on society. History suggests, and this is just a very generic hypothesis, that when the leading edge of a culture reaches around 10% of the population of that culture, then there's a type of tipping point where the values of that leading edge begin to seep into and diffuse throughout the culture. Only 10% of the population are actually at the leading edge stage, but the culture itself starts to become significantly more open to those leading edge values. It doesn't just automatically reject them the way it used to. Thus, when around 10% of the population reach the orange modern stage of a world-centric awareness, we got things like the American Revolution, the outlawing of slavery, the rise of almost every modern science, modern chemistry, modern biology, modern astronomy, modern geology. We got the notion of the universal rights of humankind, and so on. Only about 10% of the population was directly at that stage of world-centric values. But the overall culture had become much more open to them. We saw the same type of thing happen with the emergence of the green, postmodern, relativistic stage of awareness. We saw that in America in 1959, only around 3% of the population was it green, postmodern? But by 1972, the percent of the population at green had moved over 10% on its way to a bit over 20% where it is now. And the postmodern revolution was upon us. Even though only around 10% of the population directly embraced those values. We'll come back to that in the segment, Left and Right, where we discuss postmodernism itself and the culture wars that rage around it. But for now, I'm simply asking you to imagine this extraordinary possibility. According to most research, an integral second-tier consciousness is a stage of development that is today shared by around 5% of the population. It's an elitism, but an elitism to which all are equally invited. These stages of development are equally and fully open to any race, any sex, any gender, any ethnicity, any tribe, any clan, any individual. And when you reach an integral stage, you will want to treat your own group with enormous pride and respect. But you will also want to treat all of those other groups with dignity and respect and fairness, regardless of their race, color, sex, or creed. But the problem for humans is we've never been at a stage of development that actively and fully embraced and integrated all of the previous stages of development. No society anywhere in human history has done that. And that's one of the reasons that for every one year of peace, humankind has known 14 years of war. 
But according to pretty much every major developmental model in existence, that kind of stage, an integral second tier stage, by whatever name, is coming right at us, full bore, right now. In fact, given the available data, it looks like a 10% second tier tipping point might arrive at roughly the same time that a technological singularity is supposed to arrive, namely somewhere around 2040. This would amount to a singularity, a real revolution, occurring in both our exterior and our interior dimensions. This would be the mother of all revolutions. But whatever you think about a technological singularity, it's definitely true that no known human society in history has ever constructed a culture that had a truly integral, second-tier operating system. Depending on the specific developmental model that you use and the number of stages that it identifies, the overall societies of human beings that have existed so far have undergone somewhere around five or six major cultural transformations in our past history, namely a transformation through each of the major stages of first-tier awareness. The developmental genius, Gene Gepser, actually tracked and labeled these transformations. Tweaking his terms just a bit, he called them the archaic stage, to the magic stage, to the mythic, or traditional, to the rational, or modern, and to the relativistic, or postmodern. And then the leap, just now starting, to what he called integral aperspectival, or a clearly second-tier awareness. So we humans have had plenty of experience socially transforming to those major first-tier stages of development. But we have never, absolutely never, had any experience in developing from one major tier to the next major tier. In this case, integral second tier. We have no idea how to do this, what it will look like, what the major obstacles are, or how to create social organizations that live up to those integral principles. But here's the basic point. If you look at virtually any of the major developmental models, almost all of them have stages that are equivalent to early egocentric stages and then amber ethnocentric or conformist stages, then orange modern or rational stages, then green postmodern multicultural stages. But then every one of them has a yet higher stage or two of integral second tier which is easily the most inclusive, the most systematic, and the most unified of all of them. So what happens when 10% of the population reaches that stage? One thing is almost certainly true. That would be the most stunningly integrative and holistic society we've ever seen. It would indeed involve a significant increase in diversity. 
but it would also include an understanding of the unity in that diversity. It would bring together and heal and help make whole the largest number of fragmentations and partialities so far, creating unities in diversities at a staggering rate. Uh, perhaps the most significant with that 10% tipping point, which apparently will result in having integral and unifying principles seeping throughout the culture, then the intense polarizing forces that now drive the culture wars with such ferocity would start to have genuinely effective counterforces present in society at large, striving to reduce those major conflicts and helping each individual find in themselves a greater wholeness, fullness, and freedom.